Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang. It's time now for Why It Matters. Google, Tomasic and Bain & Company have recently released the seventh edition of the Economy Southeast Asia Report for 2022. And over the last six years, the report has become the go-to authority on the state of the digital economy and its growth drivers across six largest Southeast Asia countries. Now, building on the 2021 findings that revealed sustained digital growth and a boy and one trillion US dollars production of the region's digital economy by 2030. What sort of updates did we get with this new study? And how are digital economy sectors tracking what gaps and growth opportunities Southeast Asia economies are facing amidst global economic headwinds? So we're going to talk a little bit more about the findings of this study. Online with me is Florian Harpy who is the partner and head of digital practice, Asia-Pacific Bain and Company. Florian, good morning. How are you? Hey, Elliot. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for taking time to help me out with this. The Economy Southeast Asia Report 2022. So Google, Tomasic and Bain and Company are involved in this. Tell us a little bit more about some of the findings and I guess uh, who were surveyed as part of this report. Yeah, good question, Elliot. So we always do an annual effort to look at the whole of the digital economy in Southeast Asia, uh, and that includes both uh, research with consumers. So we look at consumers across all the big uh, economies in Southeast Asia, but also the investor space, uh, doing a survey of investors, in particular the VC space, and talking to players in the space, so leaders in the larger digital and tech firms in the, in the space. Uh, this year, I think we were particularly excited about the continued growth. I think uh, we all follow the news and can see some of the macro headwinds mm-hmm. we're facing. But the digital economy really has continued to go from strength to strength, now hitting uh, 200 billion GMV in 2022, uh, and continues to track well for future growth towards 2025 and then 2030. Mm. But what's interesting as well to note is one of the findings, you've got these macro turbulent factors, right? That ultimately has affected consumer demand. Yet at the same time, for some reason, Southeast Asia is less impacted by it. Why so? Yeah, good questions. I mean, first, we had a situation where Southeast Asia only really emerged out of COVID in 2022. And you can see how that actually shaped the demand in the region in quite quite a significant way. And, and actually, many places also positive for the digital economy. So if you think about areas like uh, online travel, uh, which really only started to reemerge this year, transport and ride hailing, which is, which is up significantly, uh, with continued support actually in spaces like e-commerce, which we could see continue on a high growth trajectory and more of a sticky behavior change during COVID. Okay. Combine it with what actually is a, uh, while well, Southeast Asia is impacted by the macroeconomic turbulence, is much more benign macroeconomic situation than what you would find in Europe or the US. Uh, we actually see Southeast Asia being a winner in this current macroeconomic period. Uh, while there is obviously a lot of um, issues in, kind of in the making and already happening, uh, we generally are quite positive on Southeast Asia's trajectory over the next two years. Mm. Just to clarify, does this mean that Southeast Asia's digital economy is on track to hit that $200 billion cross-merchandise value by the end of the year? That's correct. So we're expecting this year to end around 195 to 200 billion GMB. Um, And we continue our view that towards 2030, we're definitely tracking towards uh, north of 300 billion GMB.
Mm. We also talked about how Southeast Asia's digital economy sectors are following three distinct trend lines. Could you tell us about these trend lines? Quite interesting. Yeah, sure. Uh, and this is really something we observed during COVID. How obviously there was a significant reset in how different sectors operated and, and moved. And uh, the first is what we call an S-shaped trend line, and, and S here less in the sense of saturation of market demand, but more in a permanent behavior change tilting upwards for sectors like e-commerce and digital financial services, where COVID has led to an acceleration of demand in those sectors, and we now see those behaviors sticking and continued high growth in areas like uh, e-commerce and and digital lending. Uh, There's another pattern which we call return to trend line. So if you look at areas like food delivery, for example, is is a great example here, um, where we saw a significant surge during COVID uh, and now are seeing with people returning dining out habits, a bit of a normalization back to normal growth patterns, still still decent growth, but uh, back to pre-COVID trend lines that that we see continuing. And then last but not least, really a U-shaped pattern, and that's in particular true for transport and and ride-hailing, but also online travel, which uh, saw a massive uh, dip in demand of it during the COVID period, and I only know rebuilding some of that momentum that they had before, and actually both on very high growth trajectories, but it turns out you can't turn on airports and airlines overnight, but you mm-hmm. need to build capacity. So it will take us some time to get back to pre-COVID levels, for example, for online travel. Yeah, a lot of working parts there, especially with the staff uh, or staffing as well. Let's talk about growth for the digital financial services sector. So how robust has the growth been for this sector? Let's touch on some of the factors that have led to this and how this landscape is becoming more and more competitive. Yeah, sure. Happy to share that. I think in general, we've been surprised just how resilient digital financial services has been through COVID. Uh, obviously, I think many of us will have experiences on topics like payments, uh, mm-hmm. where I think we've really moved increasingly away from cash. Uh, but even sectors like uh, digital lending actually saw a significant uptick during COVID. Uh, that was despite loan moratoriums and what we expected initially, a rise in non-performing loans. But it really hasn't manifested and it's now increasingly entrenched with, with people's behaviors. And I think the companies that are to credit for this are in particular a number of pure play fintechs which helped grow the space uh, together with the consumer tech platforms who invested more in horizontal deployment and the established financial services players. So again, they've also made a lot of inroads if you think around what the banks are doing in Singapore, but also in the region to improve their digital offerings. Um, they really moved, uh, moved this quite, quite a bit forward. Now, these players continue to compete with each other, and each of them have different strongholds and areas where they're uh, doing differentially well. I think we see the pure play fintechs really kind of focusing on their core products in, in areas like lending and starting to extend from there. The consumer tech platforms obviously have in many places a stronghold on payments. If you think of uh, GrabPay or ShopeePay, and that's trying to build beyond that now. And then the established financial services players, which are often controlling the banking relationship, if you think of DBS, POSB, and others and are obviously also defending that very aggressively. So what will be interesting to watch here is how the digital bank rates will play out over the coming years. Uh, Obviously, we're just in the starting grid of this, and we're very curious to see how this landscape will evolve. Yeah, it's true. It's gaining a lot of traction. And the established banks, I mean, some of them have talked about, you know, instead of catching up, perhaps collaborating with some of these fintech companies. What are your thoughts on that? Is it better to stay in your field or establish some form of collaboration? Yeah, there's definitely areas where collaboration can be beneficial, in particular where fintechs can help you tap customer segments that otherwise you wouldn't be able to reach. So if you think for a bank in particular, reaching uh, more underbanked segments. Mm. We do expect the banks to be heavily on the defensive, though, for 
uh, high net worth and affluent and mass affluent segments, which are really okay. the core profit pool in banking, where they tend to control the relationship with uh, multi-product relationships. Uh, and it will be kind of a hard fight for a lot of the digital banks to try to crack into the market. Mm. There's another factor that's also heavily paid attention to, ESG awareness. How can the digital economy play some kind of a positive role, you know, in leading customers to close this gap, to establish more sustainable habits in that sense? Yeah, this is a great question. We, for the first time, tried to profile this year's report, the ESG footprint of the digital economy in Southeast Asia. Mm. Um, we sized the uh, total carbon emissions of some key sectors, which stands at about uh, 6 million tons of CO2 today and may go up to 20 million tons in 2030, which sounds like a lot, but is actually a relatively small part of the overall Southeast Asia emissions. What is more important, we think, is how the digital economy intersects with consumer behaviors. And to your question of the say-do gap, uh, the ability to influence consumers to make smarter choices on sustainability okay. uh, and the ability to help reshape how we think around our carbon emissions, but also the waste we generate. And there we think they have a critical role to play to help drive adoption of more sustainable practices, but also drive penetration of uh, sustainable foods and sustainable goods where we actually generally find that more than 40% of consumers in Southeast Asia say they care about those, those goods, uh, but only 3 to 15% are actually acting on this by buying sustainable goods. Mm. Uh, so clearly a, what we call the say-do gap, an opportunity to further grow demand for those products, which would significantly help us also in our general sustainable push in Southeast Asia. Mm. Florian, this brings us kind of back to where we started as a final question. Southeast Asia's digital economy potentially being able to achieve 600 million to 1 trillion by the year 2030. I suppose, how can this growth be pursued? What are the gaps do you see? What are the ways can we achieve this? Yeah, great question. I think the a lot of the enablers are in place. So we're actually quite bullish on how the general infrastructure for the digital economy in Southeast Asia is developed around payments, uh, internet access, logistics ecosystem, and many of the markets here, the consumer and merchant trust, and importantly, the funding landscape, which remains incredibly healthy with record fundraisers by a number of the big uh, venture capital investors in the mm-hmm. region. We're also, uh, while talent remains a gap, we're increasingly positive on talent. Um, there's, there's a lot of quality talent in Southeast Asia, both uh, local and uh, coming from other regions. And we see that as a big enabler of, of future growth. I think to really unlock growth going forward, uh, we highlighted a few factors in this year's report. One, the continued pasture profitability, in particular for some of the big platforms who have all pulled in their profitability targets to the next 24 months, uh, which will be really important to watch because at the end of the day, we do need to make money with, with those businesses. Um, digital inclusion, so continued push on making sure everyone is part of this digital economy and there's no left behinds, uh, environmental, social, and governance, which you just spoke about, and the data infrastructure and regulation in this space. Um, if all these come together, and in particular, then also if Southeast Asia plays as a region versus individual countries breaking out, we think there's a lot of growth uh, coming our way, and we think that we can very quickly get to the higher end of that pound, which is 1 trillion GMB by 2030. It's going to be a very interesting eight years ahead. I've been speaking with Florian Ape, who is the partner and head of digital practice, Asia Pacific at Bain and Company. Florian, thank you so much for your time this morning. Take care and have a great day ahead. Great. Thanks for having me, Elliot. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.